One, two, three. Welcome to Three Song Stories, the show where our guest's connection to music helps us walk through the stories that make them who they are. I'm Richard Chinqui. Our guest today is Jerry Mitchell. Jerry is an investigative reporter whose work has helped lead to convictions of Klansmen from the 1963 assassination of Medgar Evers, the 1963 bombing of a Birmingham church that killed four girls, and the 1964 slayings of three civil rights workers. His work also led to the 2016 conviction of Felix Vale, the oldest conviction in a serial killer case in U.S. history. He was depicted in the film Ghosts of Mississippi, which covered the events of the Medgar Evers case, and while he wasn't depicted in it, the film Mississippi Burning covered the FBI investigation of the Birmingham church bombing. Jerry's also founder of the Mississippi Center for Investigative Reporting, a nonprofit news organization that reports on the criminal justice system, public corruption, political cronyism, and racial disparities, to name a few things. And he's also a MacArthur Genius Grant winner, a Pulitzer Prize finalist, and author of Race Against Time, his account of covering unsolved murders in the civil rights era. Hey there, Jerry. How's it going? <laughs> it's going great. Thanks for being here. Oh, it's great to be with you. So uh, you're, I'm going to be honest with you, you're kind of an imposing figure journalistically. Oh, wow. Um, Really? Uh, like, like I was doing my guest research on you for the interview, yeah. and my hands kept getting sweaty. As I, like <laughs> every every paragraph that I read got me more and more nervous. Um, oh, so I want to ask you, yeah, uh, what real life and what fictional journalist do you aspire to be more like? Oh, real life journalist. I mean, I, you know. I grew up wanting to be Woodward and Bernstein, you know, mm. when I was a young journalist. That's, you know, that was what I aspired to. I wanted to be that kind of investigative reporter. You know, I saw all the president's men moving. And it's like, <laughs> I want yeah. to meet the guys in the parking garage. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, that was it. And then fictional? Um, you watch a you lot know, of new shows? Yeah. Um, I don't know. The real life ones are the ones that mean something to me. I'm mm. fictional ones. You know, you, you you see the movies. I don't know. To me, that, those were the ones. I mean, they were real life, but they were also in movies. So, sure. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, can you describe for me the musical background of your childhood? Yeah. You know, very musical family. My dad's family, very musical and uh, actually very silly. They were... Uh, they would, like, play the kazoo and all this kind of stuff. And... And and so I grew up, you know, of all things, on movie soundtracks, movie musical, a lot of it movie musical Ooh. soundtracks. So I grew up on Rodgers and Hammerstein, South Pacific, uh, uh, a little bit, you know, South uh, Sound of Music, mm-hmm. uh, later on Dr. Shivago, and and uh, different things like that. And that was very much my mom and dad's taste in music, yeah. So um, we're... Would you say that like a really big chunk of the music that you heard growing up were part of film? Like, like it was yeah, yeah. less, less we, radio. We saw, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because my parents dragged me the first movie when I, I literally was, I think, nine weeks old. So I we went to a movie every weekend, and I, I'm wow. very much a huge film buff. So, oh, cool. Um, and I love movie music. And, uh, you know, you always go through that transition, I think, uh, at least I did, where – 
you know, oh, movie musicals, eh, you know. <laughs> but then I saw a chorus line, uh, traveling Broadway uh, performance of chorus line, and I fell back in love with movie musicals. So, um, but my one of my earliest childhood memories is um, driving around San Diego, which my dad was in the Navy, and listening to. I want to hold your hand on the radio mm-hmm. and mom and I singing along, you know, and it just was such great joy, you know, in that, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny because retrospectively, a lot of people, you know, lay that at the feet of like bubble gummy, you know, like kind of pop, but mm-hmm. honestly the ability of the Beatles to make a song that kind of was so straight up and down, but catchy as yeah, all day long. As like all you just out. couldn't. Those but, early Beatles songs. I mean, you realize, and I don't think it's ever been done since, they had the five top songs. Yeah. I mean, number one, number two, number three, number four, number five were all Beatles songs. You know? And that's, I, I, you know, I remember when I Want to Hold Your Aim was playing on the radio. All, it was all the time. It was playing all the time. Yeah. So um, since you mentioned uh, like musical movies, uh, yeah. What is what is maybe your favorite movie soundtrack that is not a musical where you know where the the music isn't happening in the actual? Hmm, movie? that's a great question. Uh, you know, Hitchcock had some great ones. Ooh, yeah. You know, um, Bernard Herrmann and 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 others. You know that, and um, I don't know. That, that's a great question. I don't. It's hard to pick. I, I you know, Doctor Zhivago is a great soundtrack. I, my mom and dad have. Did have good taste on that. So. <laughs> um, what's the first time that you feel like music moved you in a way that wasn't just like that sounds nice or it's fun to listen to? But well, I mean, as a kid, yeah, I loved it. And and you know, as you got older, oh, I mean, um, like what was the first song you remember going like, ooh, that makes me feel a way? Um, well, I mean, I want to hold your hand, made me feel joyful. Uh, you know, once I got a little older, it meant a little more. It was a little deeper, <laughs> sure. you know. Um. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, music just began in my teenage years. I was a, and still am, a huge Elton John fan. And mm. so um, I came up in the 70s. So, yeah, I started listening to Elton John. And it was, that was it. I mean, just that music began to kind of penetrate and it was more than just a song. Sure. Yeah. All right. So you mentioned kazoos, but uh, were there any, let's say, instruments that you can play in an orchestra? Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I'm not in an orchestra, <laughs> but I can. I could uh, play piano. My dad played the piano. He's a very good okay. piano player, and we would sing. And 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 um, and I learned to play piano, but I wasn't nearly as good as my dad. Yeah. Okay. Kind um, of pitiful. Do you still do you still like poke at one or? You know, weirdly enough, I occasionally find myself these days occasionally writing songs. I mean, not that they have to be for you know consumption or anything, but I, yeah, just on my own. It's like a tune will come in my head, and then I start putting words to it. Yeah. Oh, fun! Um, if you could learn another instrument instantly, like Matrix style, right? Guitar. Oh guitar. yeah, that's guitar. a popular answer. Yeah. Guitar. You want to be the Why? cool guy. Cool. The, because you want to be the, the cool, cool guy playing guitar. Yeah. Guitar was always cool. I mean, it was always the you go to summer camp and the guys playing guitar. Me, I'm like, I, there's no keyboard around. I'm sorry. Right. You know? I have good news for you. Um, I I took like six, seven years of piano. Taught myself to play guitar. Uh, there because you go. once you can play yeah. piano, you can play yeah, guitar. Yeah, you know the chords. Yeah, at that's least. right. Yeah. All right. Um, so, uh, siblings? I uh, This is ridiculous. I am an only child. Likewise. And also an only grandchild on both sides. So it's like 
I don't have the any golden first child. Cousins. I have no first cousins. So, uh, other than your parents, then, uh, who would you say was the biggest musical influence on you? Um, you know, the, the music, I mean, uh, I guess what I would point to is I, when I went to college, mm. um, I had a, a roommate that was six years older. And so for the first time, you know, I'd heard Beatles and I mentioned the Beatles mm-hmm. as one of the first songs I, I really remember, but I really hadn't, you know, those deep cuts, you know, I didn't know. And so I had a roommate that had all these Beatles albums, and suddenly I'm listening to, for the first time, to Abbey Road mm-hmm. and Sgt. Pepper and a White Album, mm-hmm. and I'm like, these are revelatory to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I did have a, I did have a revolver already, but um, anyway. But yeah, they, that was just like, this is fantastic. This is great. So yeah, so that was really, I guess I had a... a an additional musical awakening of sorts once I got to college. All right. Yeah. You know, uh, just like last week, we were in the car and Come Together came on. That's such and a great it just, song. That yeah. gets a hold of me. <laughs> like, that's something you about know, that thing. You just... really listen to that, and and, and the, it's just every, it's kind of like every Beatle at their height, yeah. if that makes any it sense. It makes perfect sense. The drumming is incredible. Mm-hmm. And then Paul's bass line might be yeah, one of the it best. It drives the whole ba- thing. It, yeah. it may be one of the best bass lines he ever did. And then, of course, George's guitar. Mm-hmm. And then John, uh, you know, just. Yeah. Uh, the harmonies in it are also oh, yeah, like harmonies. haunting. Yeah. It, it, it is. And I think Ringo picked it the other day. If he could only listen mm. to one Beatles song, it would be Come Together. I'm like, that's, that's not a bad like, pick. I agree. <laughs> not a bad pick. Um do you remember the first music that you owned that was yours and not your parents? Uh, yeah, it was uh, Elton John. Don't shoot me. I'm only piano player. Like that was the first conscious uh, thing I bought. You know what I mean? Like with mm-hmm. my own money type thing. One week ago, our guest in this chair had uh, one of the songs from that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Like which one, Daniel or Daniel? That was the one. Yeah, yeah. Daniel was a huge, was a huge song for me, and I remember playing that over. You know, I had it in cassette. I was one of the first kids that, or at least first kid I knew who had a cassette player. No one else had a cassette player. (laughs) When I went to the department store, Uh they had eight tracks and albums galore and literally i'm not i'm not lying they had like five cassettes five (laughs) music cassettes and i think i bought almost all of them (laughs) you buy you bought what you could get it didn't really matter what it was and and so i bought that one but that was the first elton john album i had and and listened to daniel nonstop. like i would rewind it to hear it over and over (laughs) again and then finally, of course, fell in love with the whole album. But it's uh, it is it's a great album. All right. So you mentioned cassettes. Uh, did you ever make uh, mixtapes? I did. did I, ever... Again, yeah. I was one of the early kids that had a cassette player. So I used to be able to listen to WLS Chicago. Where uh, was, this is like I'm 13 or 14, mm-hmm. something like this. So I, I could listen to WLS at night. John Landecker, WLS. John Landecker. Uh, and it was there forever, I think. And and so I would tape the songs, but I'd create my own mixtape. You know, I, it was like off the radio. Sure. And later on, I did more of a what you would really think of as a mixtape. But what I mean is I would take the songs off the radio. Literally in the early days, like I had a little transistor radio and oh, I'd yeah. tape them. Did you ever make a mixtape for anyone else? Oh, later on, sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah once you got older. How'd yeah. that go? 
Oh, I don't know that it went very well at all. <laughs> I don't think it worked. No. All right. Um, hey, I think we're getting to where your first song is going to be. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You want to do them in the order that you Yeah, absolutely. Sending? All right. Uh, so this first one is uh, the Super Tramp song, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, do you want to do you want to talk about the story first, or do you want to listen and then talk about well, it? Well, yeah, we can just play it. All right, we're going to listen first. Um, so this is Jerry Mitchell's first song here on Three Song Stories. It's uh, by Supertramp, the logical song off the 1979 album Breakfast in America. Oh, yeah, it took me all the way back. I mean, I have so many memories connected to this song, but um, but I'll never forget the first time I heard it. I was in a record store back when they used to have record stores. <laughs> uh, well, they have them now again. Yeah, that's yeah, true. They're coming back. back. Vinyl's back. Vinyl's back. I remember my son playing a vinyl record for the first time. I was like, Dad, this sounds better. Isn't I go, I neat? know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway. Yeah. Where, where was the story? Texarkana. Texarkana, okay. Texas, uh, which is where I grew up. And uh, I heard this song. Is back in those days, you actually could request them to play a song or an album, and they would do that. Yeah, which is weird, but you know, the, you know, now it seems so out of date that you were, you know, you've got YouTube for that, right? But but back then, you you couldn't necessarily hear things that you you know weren't on the radio. So uh, you know, or unless your friend had the album. So it was a brand new album. Mm-hmm. I heard this song. I was like, I bought it on the spot. Like wow. I, that, that song yeah. made me buy the whole album. And then I bought it as a cassette because I had um, had a cassette deck in my and in, in, uh, truck. My mom and dad just let me drive it. And I'll never forget this. I put it in a cassette deck. And, of course, I played it everywhere I, I drove. It did not leave the cassette deck for more than a year. <sighs> that song, like that album yeah. stayed in my cassette deck more than a year. It That'll was be- harder uh, when you liked one song on a cassette album, too, because you had to rewind it every time it ended. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm talking about I love the whole album. I, yeah. mean, I, was, I, I love the whole album. Yeah. I, and to me, even to this day, I think it's a terrific album. But I, but I was going, it was, it was 79, mm-hmm. and I was going to college and went to this kind of very strict college. And it just... Connect. I connected with it in an extremely, incredibly deep way. So it's like this about what, you know everything seems so magical mm. and mystical, and then yeah. mystical and then you know and then all of a sudden they're teaching you how to be logical and responsible and practical. And I just relate to the song in the, in the deepest way. And um, and so I just and 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 the, especially the last line. So you know, can you tell me who I am? And and I'm like, oh wow, you know. And it just it was it seemed incredibly profound at that moment, and it still is. I think it's a great question: Who am I really? And uh, you know, Roger Hodgson, I, I think, talked about even that aspect of the song. He just felt like that, that made that song universal. Mm. And I think he's right. I think that's what made that song so universal. And I think it still works today. Um, oh yeah, it's popular enough. You know, that, this is one of the songs. There's those songs that um, you hear them. I think a lot. Maybe through pop culture, maybe through parents or something, and it happens when you're too young to remember the music, and then you hear it later in life right. and go, "Wait, wait, well, I know that. How do I know this song? This is that for me. The first time I heard this, I was probably in my teens, which would have been in the late '90s, right? Which would have made it 20 years old. Yeah, we, but, I was old by that. But point. I, but I, as soon as it started, I was like, "Wait." Da, 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 da. I was like, "How do I know this song? I don't know. It was probably everywhere when I was, yeah, you know, little. yeah, when you were a kid. Um, so." You know, where does it fit in your life today? Do you, do you keep that cassette around? Well, no, I I still listen to it. Uh, in fact, uh, 
I have, you know, I run mm-hmm. uh, to music. Mm-hmm. I, I'm a runner. And uh, that is a, I still have that album. To, I still play that album. I still listen to this album. So it's still, to me, it's a terrific album. It's, uh, I think it's sold more than 20 million worldwide, Ooh, you know. Wow. So it's it's one of those rare albums, I think. It's, it's very rare, in my opinion, where you can have an album that's popular, but also really, you know, a really good album. Yeah. And, and, and the musicianship is just off the charts. Uh, Supertramp's a great group. And then, and then the, the songwriting by both Roger Hodgson and Rick Davies is just terrific. It's, 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 it's one of my all-time favorite albums, so, yeah, so, to this day. So you heard it while you were in college, and you and were still resonate contemplating yeah. some of those things about exactly. who you were. Um, what were you studying then? Well, you know, I I was uh, taking courses in journalism mm-hmm. and speech and all those things, and so yeah, I was trying to figure this. You know, what about you know? I thought about journalism in terms of because I like to write. And so those are the kind of questions that, w- that were going through my mind. Is that this, what do I want to do? You know? Did the song drive you to con- to contemplate other careers? Oh, you know, just in the sense of searching. Uh, you know, yeah. I think you know, and and other music that followed. I think you know helps to carve that path. You know, um, I know along about the same time, I, my the older roommate I'm talking about had a Jackson Brown album. I never heard of Jackson Brown. So I heard the Pretender album. And, oh, wow. <laughs> and it's a great, and it's a great album um, that, you know, again, it's the, right there. The same. Yeah. It's same era. And, and it's terrific. It, and the songwriting is incredible. And Jackson Brown's a great songwriter, but that, that album in particular also, you know, kind of spoke to me and I think my generation as well, mm-hmm. you know, what, what is this all about? You know, it's, it's easy to go chase money. But what does it really need to be about? And and that was something I was thinking about. Hmm. Uh, what was the main kind of music you would have been listening to in, let's say, late high school, early college as a style? Yeah, well, you know, rock and roll, although not necessarily that heavy, you know, pop rock, mm-hmm. you know, and I like, you know, I mentioned Supertramp. I liked Genesis. I liked, um, which... I guess technically gets into some prog rock, which I guess Supertramp gets into some of that, but it's not anyway, somewhere in that neighborhood. Yeah, we mentioned um while we were in the song there, we mentioned that you don't get to hear a lot of sax solos. Yeah, you don't nowadays. hear sax solos anymore. It, I, I you know, the musicianship as I mentioned yeah. before is just terrific. Oh. Okay. Um if I say uh high school slow dance, what's the first song that pops into your head? <laughs> High school slow dance, you know, uh, you know, back in those days, it would have been, you know, the, uh, just these cheesy songs from the seventies were yeah. just god awful, and I really didn't like them, you know. So <laughs> I, I did. I don't even know. then, it, even then, they felt cheesy. Back even then, like then, they felt cheesy. I, 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 you know, it's not that there wouldn't. It, one of the songs from back then that <laughs> I, I love songs. Hear it, I can see it. Oh, I know. My favorite, one of my favorite love songs yeah. from the seventies to this day, and it means more to me as I've gotten older, mm. is uh, "I'm Not in Love," and it's actually a love song. You would think it's not a love song, but it's it's actually the song of a guy who's protesting that he's not in love when he really Got clearly it. clearly he, he is. Protest too much. Yeah, yeah. protest too much. It's a it's a brilliantly done song, and it was very innovative. Um, they actually use tape loops for all the voices, so it's oh. got. 
it's it's worth listening to from a perspective of production. It's uh sure. it's very well done. Okay. Um, are you a dancer in general? I I, I I've tried. And people tell me not to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm right there with you. Uh, I can, I can, if, if I, I, ha- I have no trouble bopping around and, and, and that, but I, but I'm not a dancer. If it has steps, I'm solid. Yeah, but like, yeah. if you're just like, just dance. No, not like no, that. Not. Um, hey, what was the last concert or like per- live performance you went to? Uh, I went to see Newsboys. Ooh, was that here? No, uh, I wasn't here. You're in Mississippi. No, I'm in Mississippi. I saw him in Mississippi. I saw yeah. him in the Coliseum in Mississippi. And it was cool because, uh, you know, I started, I got into the Newsboys way back. In fact, I remember taking my take, kids to see Newsboys. Take me to your leader? That was, that was the one right after that. It was oh. uh, Entertaining Angels. Oh, yeah. Tour, okay. Yeah. Which is great. Yeah. Great album. That's I love that album. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about another album I, I love a lot. And so that was the album tour, and that was a terrific. It's a terrific album, Entertaining so, Angels. Album. So my father works for an, a nonprofit food organization, and mm-hmm. they got invited to do something at the concert that cool. that, that they were putting on right up the road here. Oh, yeah. uh, they live on the other coast of Florida, but he was like, "Hey, I'm going to be in your in your neighborhood. You want you want me to come by and see if you can come backstage with me?" And I was like, "Yes." And we ate dinner. I uh, love the news across boys. from uh, Mike and his kids. Oh, that's like wonderful. we were like, "That's that's Mike from the Newsboys." He's right. Exactly. And he was like, hey, guys. Um, so, um, yeah. Yeah, that was they, great because they were united because it was, uh, you know, Michael Tate, mm-hmm. the new singer for Newsboys. Yeah, yeah. And it was kind of like the new group and the old group together. It was called uh, Newsboys United. Yes. So I get to hear all the old songs. All the old weird songs. All the old weird songs Take I love. Take Me to Your Leader is a weird song. It's a weird it's song. It's so good. It's a great song. Oh, and man. then uh, the ones that my ki- the one that my kids loved yeah. so much. Uh-huh. Uh, is is breakfast? Yes, breakfast is so good. It's a great song, oh. and my I think it was I think it was especially my son. It was just an excuse to be able to yell at the word hell. You yeah. know, they, yeah. you know, it's like they, they don't, don't serve, serve breakfast, breakfast in, in hell. hell. You know, you yeah. kind of shout it out. Yeah. You know, and um, it, it you know it it was also quintessentially nineties. Like it had mm. that you know that sound that was like oh okay we're doing something I love different. I love that. I love I love the Newsboys. No one, so no huge, one knows breakfast. Huge fan I'm of the Newsboys. I'm so, so glad we're sitting across from yeah, yeah. No one knows breakfast. Um, okay. Um, if you could, if you had to describe a peak concert experience, uh, what what do you think about? Um, I've had several. Um, I what? saw. Well, the one that that probably resonated the deepest is. I got to see Elton John at of mm. all places, the Grand Old Opry. Can wow! You imagine? Okay, jeez. It's a weird. It was weird, and the audience was weird. <laughs> I mean, the people in three piece. This is you know, got to remember. This is seventy nine. This is not. This is not current day. It's not now, Elton John. Yeah, yeah. So seventy nine. <laughs> so we're telling you, these people three piece suits with boots, <laughs> and it was like the weirdest sight and the weirdest audience. Yeah. And but. Uh, my roommate from college and I, and we, we were, and there were a couple of other people who came with us. We rushed the stage at the end, so Elton was as close as you are. Yeah, wow. And so it was that intimate a concert. It was that close, so we rushed the stage at the very end. And it was doing, and so for the third encore, he did "Twist and Shout," oh. which is this song in response. So yeah. we were doing the response part. Like he would shout at the yeah. first part. He wasn't doing both parts. He was only doing the first part. And so we were bopping around, yeah. you know, to twist and shout. Mm-hmm. 
Elton's singing it out, and we're, you know, belting out the responses. And there were about 30 or 40 of us. And I remember that. That's just such a, it was a great memory of uh, of song right there, yeah. Um, if you could see any performer, living or dead, at their peak, who would you see? No, oh, John Lennon. John Lennon, yeah. yeah. Or the Beatles, yeah, the, Be- really. yeah. the Beatles. Say, I'd say the, the Beatles. Beatles. Yeah, I, I'd say the Beatles. But yeah, Lennon. I was gonna go see him. My roommate and I had already said this is 1980. His new album was out. I got it. I'd been listening to it. Loved it. And my roommate and I both that went to the same one. Went to Elton John concert with me, Johnny Johnson. Um, <laughs> oh, by the way, name, Johnny Johnson. Well, well, here's the funny part. <laughs> here's the funny part about that. Johnny is actually Japanese. Ooh, he, he's Johnny from Japan. From he's Japan. from Japan. Yeah. And so his real name is Katsunori Yamamoto, and I just told him, "Oh, they just translated that." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's just uh, that's the romanization. Yeah, that was of it. it. That was it. That's it. Uh, uh, he's a terrifically uh, funny guy. But we, we're going to go see. We said, no matter where John Lennon is doing a concert, we are going. And he got assassinated. Uh, um, oh, oh no! Yeah, awful. that's it. Yeah. Um, what's the furthest you've ever traveled? Oh yeah, we drove, we drove from Searcy, Arkansas, all the way to Carbondale, Illinois, to see Elton John. Don't know where either of those places are, but I know well, where Southern those states Illinois. Are. It's roughly yeah. Southern Illinois. Okay. Uh, so that's a pretty good. I, I don't yeah. know. Arkansas it's to a, Illinois is pretty good. Yeah, it's a good. It was a good trip. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I think we're about due for your second song here. Oh yeah, sure. Um, so uh, you brought us a Bob Dylan song. Do um, you want to listen first, or uh, we can listen first? All right. This is Jerry Mitchell's second song here on Three Song Stories, only a pawn in their game by Bob Dylan, off of the 1964 album Times They Are a Changing. Only a pawn in their game. I, I did buy a greatest hits dylan album but i really get to deep dylan until actually i started working on these cases i was working on the meg rivers case and found yeah. out there's a bob dylan song bob dylan wrote a song about meg rivers oh can really you, can you walk our yeah. listeners through medgar evers and sure and your involvement in that this is a good time i think to yeah i'll try try this real quickly uh so i started you know quite by accident to be honest i started you know, if someone tells me I can't have something, I want it like a million times worse, mm. you know. And so there are these secret records of this um, state segregation sovereignty commission uh, spy agency in Mississippi. And so I got those records and what they show is the same time the state of Mississippi was prosecuting a guy named Byron D. LeBeckwith for the murder of Meg Rivers. This other arm of the state sovereignty commission was secretly assisting defense trying to get Beckwith acquitted. Nobody knew that. Mm. And so the case got reopened. That was October 1st of 89 when that story ran. So anyway, in the process, he, he I went and interviewed him. He got indicted uh, in December of 1990. And then there was a gap of like four years before he went on trial. Sure. It, it was just, it, and while during that period of time, I found out, Bob Dylan wrote a song about right. Mag Rivers, really. And so I got the CD and heard this for the first time, and I'm like, oh, my. Meg Rivers was a um, NAACP leader. He got involved in civil rights. 
as soon as he came back from War II mm-hmm. and became very involved in voting rights and all these things. And, and so he became, he was assassinated literally on the same night that President Kennedy delivered his first civil rights speech uh, in June 11, 1963. He was shot on that same night um, in the back, in his own driveway. And this killer got away with it, essentially. Uh, he was tried twice by an all-white, all-male jury, and he walked away. And so I started writing about the case. The case got reopened, um, and then he got arrested. And uh, during that period of time after he got arrested, it's when I began to get more deeply into Dylan. And so I heard this song yeah. for the first time. Yeah. And which, by the way, uh, interestingly, was there was a lot of interesting trivia about the song that I know now. Lay it on me. It, it was unveiled on Meg Rivers' birthday wow. in 1963. So this was literally weeks after he was assassinated. Yeah. It was unveiled in Greenwood, Mississippi, a little farm in Greenwood, Mississippi, by Bob Dylan, who uh, was civil rights activists who were there and it's sung along with him. Yeah. There are pictures and even video of this. Um. And so uh, that's where he unveiled this song on Meg Rivers birthday, literally mm-hmm. weeks later. So he mm-hmm. wrote this in a rush. And then, of course, more famously at the March on Washington, mm-hmm. uh, where obviously the public got to hear it for the first time. And it's so incredibly insightful. I mean, here's a young Bob Dylan, uh, you know, what 20 something, obviously. And he wrote this song, and it's uh, the whole premise of the song, as you've listened to, is just that don't blame the killer, blame the white politicians that put this killer up to this. Right. And that's so fascinating to me. It's not like that idea is ancient. It continues on. You have politicians who will say things publicly that will get people riled up and they go do things. And then it's like, oh, it's not politicians' fault, is it? Well, of course it is. It, it's politi- rhetoric has consequences, mm, mm. and so it's going back to England. The, the King of England said, "Who will rid me of this turbulent priest?" And they go out and kill him. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, you know, you think you're doing a service when when someone in power says stuff like that. So. I think if we're very careful, you know, and think about this, this continues on to today. And I'm not speaking of anyone in particular. I'm talking across the board. Politicians say things that can have profound effects, not just in this country, but around the world. Yeah. I think that extends, um, I think, like politicians, celebrities. Oh, um, yeah. Absolutely. I I heard an interesting idea that, you know, um, in in the absence of chiefs and kings, uh, people who are simply famous have all the cachet that we would want to give to like somebody like that. And sometimes all you need for that cachet is for your head to be 80 feet tall on a screen because it's like, well, look, look at him. Exactly. Right? Look at that guy. Kind of like big brother. Right. So if they say, if they say that it's important right. to do, then I'm going to go do it. Um, so, um, so I went, yeah. Yeah. The trial then it was reopened. Well, I'll mention a little bit about Beckwith. I went to interview yeah. him. Um, you know, horribly racist, just inward this, inward that. Yeah. And then he started on all the other non-white races. Yeah. And then, um, and he's very anti-Semitic as well. And so I talked to him about six hours and it was getting dark. And I'm like, really? I'm good. I thought it was a good time to go. <laughs> yeah. 
he insists on like walking me out to the car and I'm like, really, that's okay. I think I'll find my way. <laughs> yeah. So he walks me out to the car anyway, he gets me out there and says, if you write positive things about white Caucasian Christians, God will bless you. If you write mm. negative things about white Caucasian Christians, God will punish you. If God does not punish you directly, several individuals will do it for him. Okay. Wink, wink. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that was my encounter with uh, with the killer. Does the song take you to that that yeah. that interview? Yeah, it yeah. takes me back to all that time. I mean, and and then eventually seeing him convicted, the killer convicted. And, yeah, that uh, was in uh, was that ninety four. It was. Yeah. Um, in fact, there's a movie if people are so inclined. Mm. Uh, Ghost of Mississippi. Uh, yeah. Which I actually watched them film it's, a lot of it. It was really kind of a, an odd experience. Oh yeah. That's a um yeah that's a it's a good film by the way. Um, as I enjoy it. Um, so you know, I think when moments like that happen, the the conviction um, at the end of that, uh, there's this there's this idea I think that we that that we I think collectively feel sometimes that this will be like the pivot point in yeah. American race relations. Like it's like oh finally. Yeah, you feel a like a joint moment when we can all kind can of all turn celebrate. and it'll be different going yeah. forward. And then like things don't seem to move much. Yeah. Um That's a good was point. there a feeling then like that? Like Well, did, I think it was just kind of I can tell you I could describe exactly what happened. Yeah. So you heard when the word guilty mm-hmm. rang out, you could hear these waves of joy as they kind of cascaded down the hall. Till it reached euphoria full of people black and white just erupted in cheers and and I just felt chills because yeah. the impossible had suddenly become possible in this. Yeah. And yeah, you think, well, maybe we were finally getting race right or with the election of Barack Obama, you think, oh, wow, we actually uh, a black American got elected president. We, you know, someone even talked about post-racial America and then, you know, George Floyd and other things kind of remind us, well, not quite so fast, you know, yeah. but that seems to be the, 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 um, in race relations, this country, unfortunately, that's mm-hmm. been our history. We take a step or two forward and then a step or two back. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, uh, on that note, that's, this is probably a good time to talk about, um, your investigative journalism career, uh, specifically like in the prosecution of Klan members, yeah. um, how do you end up in a position to be doing that kind of work? Like, what, what is, how did you get there? You know, as a matter of faith, I just, you know, thank God <laughs> used me for whatever purpose, you know, and all that. I, I feel very fortunate as a reporter. I just started on, on the Mega Rivers case, uh, you know, and then that led me to the next case, which then led me to the next case, the Birmingham church bombing with the four girls and, and then back, finally, in the Mississippi burning case, which is actually the first case I wrote about, uh, but nothing ever happened. So, um, and there were convictions in all four of those. So, very blessed, very fortunate. Yeah. Um, what is it like as a journalist? You know, who often have to only report kind of in post, like this happened and that's what happened. Right. To feel like you were maybe impacting the actual events or making a difference yeah. in, in investigations. You worked with the FBI, well, in fact, right? Or they used some of your 
How does that? I didn't. I didn't work for the oh. FBI. Not at all. I just. I just an investigative reporter and wrote my stories. Well, my opinion was always uh, just write it in the story, and then they know, don't they? You know, mm. I don't have to. I don't have to go down the street and and talk to the FBI. They sure. can or the prosecutors or anybody else. They they can read the paper. <laughs> uh, so that was kind of my philosophy about that. So and you know, and I certainly knew them and. Um, you know, work with them in a, in a sense. I mean, in the sense of I would be interested in information maybe they had collected mm, as well. Mm, mm. Yeah. Okay. Um, do you listen to that that song, um, Only Pawn of the Game, very often nowadays? No, I don't. You know, I listen to Dylan some, but that, that's not necessarily a song I listen to. It, it's, uh, but whenever I hear it, it's incredibly moving. Mm. Uh, I, I'm probably a bigger fan of Highway 61 album mm. and. Blood on the tracks. <laughs> Mike Pro- Mike Canary is a big Blood on the Tracks guy. Yeah. It's a uh, it's uh, those two albums. It, you're talking about Dylan. Those to me are Dylan's yeah. two best albums. That's my opinion. Some, <laughs> some, some are going to say Blonde on Blonde, other things, but uh, those are mine too. Um, you ever see him live? I have. I did see Dylan live. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Did he did he play any of the songs that you? Well, no, he way, didn't play any the of the way. ones I wanted him to, but. <laughs> But he did, you know, blow in the wind. And, I'm gonna, you know, I'll, I'll you know, relay all those, all those. We did, you know, Rolling Stone. I mean, like, uh, you know, like Rolling Stone, which that was fantastic. I'll was relay a Mike Canary story since he's not here to do it. But sure. he went and saw Dylan, and he played, he played all the big songs, but he played them however he felt like playing them that day. All right. <laughs> so you could. Well, tell Dylan, <laughs> Dylan has a habit, and everyone who knows seeing Dylan concert knows what I'm talking about. There are times where, in terms of vocally, mm-hmm. he just kind of muddles through it, and I don't know how I don't know what to call it. And <laughs> and when I saw him, that that was what he did. He was just Dylan being Dylan. Dylan yeah. being Dylan. All right. Um, what kind of device or devices do you usually listen to music on nowadays? You mentioned you're a runner, so I everything. Your phone. I well, no watch. Oh yes. Okay. Fair. Fair. <laughs> I use an Apple Watch. Yeah. I listen to my music when I'm running on an Apple Watch now, which I'm very grateful to have. It's so much easier than. Um, well, I I shouldn't say it's that much easier because I had an iPod Shuffle, so that was pretty easy too. But it's it doesn't fly around like right. a shuffle does. <laughs> um, and then uh, in the car, I have CarPlay, so you know that's easy. And so I have the you know the YouTube what is it YouTube Red or whatever it is. Oh, uh, sure, the music app, yeah, yeah. Like their version of yeah, yeah. So I I get all okay. I can get any music I want off of that. And uh, plus music that I I purchased that's on Apple. I have an iPhone and Apple. When was the last time you purchased music in physical form? Ooh, that's a long time ago (laughs) because I remember so distinctly walking in the record store, Mm -hmm. you know, and they didn't have, they didn't have a record. (laughs) You know, yeah. like I went in, it was uh, uh, Elvis Costello. Oh, yeah. I, I'm, a, I'm a big Costello fan. I've okay. seen him live too. Um, but I went in, well, to me, Armed Forces and Imperial Bedroom are the, the, the best albums that I know, at least that I like. Um, but I, I went in to buy his new album and they didn't have it in record. <laughs> And I just remember just like, so that was the, from, I realized I had to break down and get a CD player. So I just, you know, oh, they that, broke you. <laughs> they broke me. <laughs> I'm yeah. done. All right. Yeah. Um, uh, do you listen, we're trying to find this out from people. Do you listen uh, to radio music, like music on the radio in your car? <laughs> not very often. I do listen to contemporary Christian stations once in a while, but not very often. Usually I, I'm kind of 
you know particular about my music mm-hmm. you know i like the music i like and i'm not going to make any apologies for it and then i'm not necessarily playing it you know so yeah, that's a, i have no problem with that <laughs> all right uh i think it's time for your last song um yeah so uh do you want to listen or do you want to yeah, we can listen uh, all right we're gonna listen first uh this is jerry mitchell's final song here on three song stories jesus freak by dc talk off the 1995 album jesus freak that was like that was my first step into um, what eventually became to be called Christian contemporary music. But I would say that like was nothing like what we would eventually call Christian contemporary music. Um, and and uh, if 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 you're listening and that's the first time you've heard that like song or that band, like you should understand that th- this this band DC Talk was like the equivalent of the Beatles yeah. to to Christian music I, because I would agree. they they were just like playing something that people were like, you can do that? That's not something you're allowed. And it's like, yeah, we're going to do that. Um, and and they, they kind of changed the way. Yeah, they, they changed the whole. I mean, you got to remember up until this point, uh, and I was among those listening. I Michael mean, W. Smith. A, Michael W. Smith, <laughs> Amy, Amy Grant. Amy Grant, yeah. Those were the, Amy kind of was first and then Michael W. Smith. And it was this very soft, you know. It was ballads. It was like like an album of ballads. Maybe you have like Michael W. Smith would have some really soft rock or something. You know, it's very, you know, very mundane, so to speak. Mm. And so, yeah, I'm like, so I I saw these guys Mm. as a warm-up act. To Michael W. Smith. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, uh. And, you know, it was like, they blew me away. I mean, it was, it was kind of like, I didn't know what I was encountering. And this was the previous album. Uh, and so it was hip hop. It was mm-hmm. R&B. It was gospel. It was all this, a, a lot of mix of interesting things. I, you know, and I liked it. But the, the Jesus Freak album is one that blew me away. Yeah, it was yeah. just blew me away. I was in a Christian, you know, um, bookstore mm-hmm. and they played it mm-hmm. and it just blew me away yeah. i'm like oh wow so uh, what i always say about this album is uh, to me it's it, it's one of my favorite albums of all time and and i think musically it stacks up like it it's not you, really, it's not like with the yeah. other songs before that you would say michael w smith and amy grant oh yeah it's very great in terms of content we'd say you know in terms of song and the message and everything like that but i think dc talk was the one that came along and said you know we're gonna do the same we're gonna be just as good yeah musically. my yeah my music test is usually my, my quality test for music um is usually if i don't speak a word of english Right. Well, how would I feel about that song? Correct. And I think, like, for all credit where it's due, yeah, a lot of a lot of the acts that we named before, like Michael W. Smith, like if you don't speak English, you'd be like, yeah, it's kind of wishy washy sounding yeah. song. Yeah. But exactly. like, but this, if you like this, you like this, and it yeah, really musically, like, yeah, it's, it's outstanding. Incredible. It's insane. I have. I'm so glad you said it was a great album because I have here as a note, great album. I remember between you and me. Like that that's, was the, it was the hit. I know yeah. it kind of was a crossover hit for them. It's a very '90s song. Like that, that feels. People would know. People would recognize that song because yeah. it was played on the radio. Um, so, what's the story when you hear that? Where do you go? I, you know, I think back. Um, I think back to uh, when I was about forty. I, I really hit rock bottom. You know, um, and you know, I experienced this spiritual awakening and. Um, God spared me. I always think of the Amazing Grace song, you know, say such a wretch like me, you know, and 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 so 
I experienced this incredible spiritual awakening. And, and so those songs began to become even deeper meaning for me as well. Um, they already meant a lot, but even more so, and just spoke to me deeply. And to this day, I play this album mm-hmm. at, still a lot. I, 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 I take it running. You know, I listen to it when I'm running. Do you run faster when you when this one? Comes oh yeah, the, it's the, hard not Jesus to do. Freak. Like, Jesus freak, Jesus freak. You try not to run yourself out. I but. try to pay attention to the BPMs of songs when I'm running. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But yeah, that's yeah. and, and of course I'm also a big Toby Mac. He he DC Talk broke up eventually, yeah, and then Toby Mac, who's the main songwriter here, um, you know, went on, and he still continues to do great mm-hmm. music. Uh, so I listen to him as well, and um, as well as the Newsboys, Michael Tate's with them now, mm-hmm. and and um, yeah, uh, several acts and a number of acts. But anyway, but it just that experience, you know, I think Jesus Freak just played such an important role in that in terms of that process of going, you know, experiencing that spiritual awakening and realizing, hey, wait a minute, I'm really arrogant and I'm really have all these other faults that I wasn't seeing. And I'll say this as a matter of faith, you know, I started uh, reading I just started the Bible from front to back, and and uh, and it was kind of like to God, hey, you tell me what you want to tell me. And the other thing I wanted him to do is, um, you know, when I read about these Bible characters, maybe a King Ahab or somebody like that, mm-hmm. that seems so awful, you know, I want to be able to see myself. And so he did that. And and I read through and I began to see myself in a way I wasn't seeing myself before. And, I, you know, kind of the scales fell from my eyes and really realized uh, how far I had fallen, didn't even realize it. And, um, yeah, so it was great. I mean, it was just uh, – I, I'm very grateful. So, like, the, that first part of that first verse probably hits pretty hard. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that – you know – you know, he talks about, you know, separated, I cut myself clean, you know, from the from the past that comes back on my darkest of dreams. Yeah. I mean, that, all that, I, that, that very much spoke to me. And, um, and then uh, this idea of being a Jesus freak, I don't really care what they say. You know, there's no disguising the truth. And I, it's just like, yeah, that's the that's the kind of faith I want to have. I want to have that kind of faith. If you're going to believe, believe. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you believe absolutely or don't believe. Yeah. You know? um, so, you know, popular though it was, and it was popular in, in the mid-90s, um, I would say that you were probably not their core demographic Probably when they released not. that song. Probably not. I was um, a little older. How how did, did did that pan out in any particular way? Like, were, were, I mean, were, it was was it you and then like a bunch of teenagers at the concert? Oh, at the concert. Like, Yo, you know, well, you know, when they were the warm up act, uh, you know, Michael W. Smith. There were a lot of people a, my a bunch of people with earplugs in waiting for. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, yeah. When DC Talk played, it was really loud. Yeah, it was a it was. lot louder than the other, and there were people that walked out. <laughs> yep, I bet, I bet. <laughs> you know, because it was just loud. You know, and they weren't used to that loud of music. And I, but I loved it. I mean, uh, and my kids grew up on it and everything. So yeah, yeah. It's you know, I guess I was a weird dad. I don't know. I just, <laughs> you know, I I cranked up. You know, Jesus freak. You know? Uh, do you do um, any POD? I never did POD. I did, you know, Newsboys, Audio Adrenaline. Yeah, Audio A. Uh, 
you know, those were kind of at the afters. Um, you know, it's funny. My um, uh, my very first concert, my li- live concert of any kind, was a Skillet concert. Yeah, and that was Skillet. That was way back. Yeah. And then I didn't think about them for a long time. And then my wife came to me one day and was like, hey, I really like this band that I'm hearing on the radio. And I was like, oh, who's that? And she's like, it's called Skillet. And that's, there you go. that was like three or four years ago. And I was like, I've been trying to get you to listen to Skillet for a decade lately. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, all right. It's time for like a speed round. We're going to kind of sure. run through some questions here. Um, so do you karaoke? Have you karaoke? Is that something you would do? I have not done that. I could I could do that. I could do that. I can do Willie Nelson or somebody like that. What would be your go-to song? Like if you had to do it with no preparation? It probably be, I'd probably do Willie doing Blue Eyes Crying in the Rain or something something like that. Just mm. something for fun. I, I I would, you know, me doing it myself. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I can sing. I, I I can sing, but I you know, it's it's just it's like I'd almost rather put on another persona if that makes you any sense. You could pull just like I know this is audio people, but yeah. like I'm uh, Jerry could pull off a Willie Nelson. Yeah, I, I can say I kind of get you, you know, could, I'm getting old now, so I'm kind of more every day I look a little more like Willie Nelson. Yeah. If, you, if you turned up if you turned up the little bit of accent that you have up to 11, yeah, I, can I, bet, do, I bet I, I can hear Willie. Um, okay, um, hey, if you were a pro wrestler, what would your walk on music be? Oh my goodness. I don't know. I kind of like the Jesus Freak song. That's, uh, that would be a good one. Um, and then, well, so you need a wrestler name now, too, then. Oh, my goodness. I have no idea. You know, holy terror, you know. Holy terror. I like that. That's really solid. All right. Um, let's say you got a bartender friend, and he says, uh, you know, Jerry, I want to immortalize you by making a drink that I'm going to name after you. What is he going to make? Oh, doesn't have to be alcoholic if you don't like, but it, I he's going to make no something. idea. I have no idea. I've no one's ever asked me that one. <laughs> Good. That's how we roll. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, yeah, Jerry Mitchell, which would be uh, oh, he's gonna name a, it water. Yeah. a water. A <laughs> water. A water or a soft drink. I, what What do I drink these days? Cherry Cherry uh, Coke Zero. Yeah. Okay. So uh, maybe a Cherry Coke Zero. Uh, can you name it? Like give it a name name? Like a like a what sounds like a cocktail name to it? Yeah. I have no idea. I don't. I, I, That's I, what I, we're gonna I, call it. The I have I no have, idea. The I have no idea. The I have no idea. That's it. <laughs> cherry Coke, Maraschino cherry. Ice. Yeah, that'd be good. All right, Mar- you gotta have the Maraschino. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, what's a song that you wish you could hear again for the first time ever? Hmm. Song I wish I could hear for the first time. Um. You know, like, you know, I don't know, Abbey Road album or something like mm-hmm. that. You oh, know. Well, the next line here is album, so that'll be the album. That'll be the album. Okay. Uh, song, uh, yeah, the logical song would be a, would be a good one to hear Ooh, for the yeah. first time. I, I think you're... Because yeah. it, it, it blew me away the first time I heard it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, if you had to pick a most overplayed song of all time... Uh, what would you what would you gravitate towards? Well, for my childhood, I, this is my go to uh, "Seasons in the Sun." Oh, the joy! We had fun. Oh. We had "Seasons in the Sun." It yeah. was horrible poetry and overplayed. True story. My mm. older roommate, who I've already mentioned, uh, was a DJ when that came out, and he told me he broke that single live on the air. <laughs> 
so he wouldn't have to play it. it. Yeah, yeah, so he wouldn't have to play it again. Oh yeah, live DJing in the in the big push of top forty, like when they stopped being mm-hmm. station stopped having mixes and they started saying these are the ones you're gonna play, must have been just yeah, a you, nightmare. Yeah, it would have had to been. But the other thing is kind of fascinating when I look back at the top forty charts, mm. you know, top forty radio. Yeah, it really from my childhood is really amazing what all was on the same dang radio station. Yeah, so pre, pre-genre pre segregation broadcast meant that, like, it wasn't down to the rock station or the country station. No. It was down played to their, it all. It was down to their mix. Like, which, what, well, who's you, playing the best songs? Well, it yeah. would be Willie Nelson. Yeah. It would be, then it might be Olivia Newton-John. Then it might be Led Zeppelin. Yep. Then it might be Cool in the Gang. Mm-hmm. I mean... I don't know. I, I think there's part of that that I kind of like. Yeah, I'm a big fan of that. Yeah. You know, that, that, that because we got exposed to all forms of music, which yeah. I'm very grateful for. Yeah. Um, it 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 also meant that there was kind of um, this is a little bit like kind of like the nightly news broadcast thing, too. It was yeah. that when 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 there was less of it. Everybody culturally shared it because you yeah, were, like, exactly everybody was watching or yeah listening, exactly I and mean, that yeah. was there was some fun to that yeah. I mean the fact that every every you could mention a song and everybody had heard everybody it. had had heard it had yeah heard it. and more importantly the other way it didn't work like now I know for a fact that I have no idea like what the ten most popular songs in oh, in, no. in America are right now I, I stopped listening so long right. ago I, I wouldn't I know. just I, I just and I'm not saying to name them I'm saying if I heard them I wouldn't know that I was listening to one of them and back then you would definitely have heard it and and you know there's there's give and take right it means there's more music being produced now than ever before but, so that's nice but the interesting but, thing I read the other day it was in an article it was the, the majority of, of music that people are listening to on like Spotify and, and the mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. Is 20th century music? Yeah, hey, we're the kings. <laughs> so I just find that I just find that fascinating. Yeah. That, you know, the music I grew up with is the music people are still listening yep. to. So, well, I feel uh, you know very prejudiced about that. That I think that the maybe music, some vindication in that stat. Yeah, I think <laughs> you know I still to this day believe the best music ever written, at least within my lifetime. Uh, it was late 60s, early 70s, roughly, you know. Yeah, look at us waxing poetic about the overplayed song <laughs> question. Yeah. Um, all right. If you could broadcast any song into the head of everyone in the world simultaneously, what song would you broadcast? Wow. Um, not We Are the World, but that that, that would be one that you would think mm-hmm. should be, mm-hmm. right? You know, but... um. You know, uh, you know, uh, maybe the Beatles, All You Need Is Love or something like that. Yeah. I, you know, something that would carry some kind of positive message. Um, you know, that, yeah, I'm just trying to think of one off hand. All You Need Is Love is a great song. A great one. Yeah. Just Between um, You and Me by DC Talks, another good one. You know. do, you, do you know what's funny about All You Need Is Love is I forget in between listens of it, because I don't listen to it often. In between, I forget that it's like, that's like the whole song. Like mm-hmm. just over and over again, mm-hmm. but then by the end, it doesn't matter. Like you're just like, oh, you need it's. It is. It is really that. solid. Um. All right. Uh. Are there any albums that if you start the beginning of the album or somewhere like in the middle that you basically have to keep going until the end of the album? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Well, Super Tramp, uh, Breakfast in America is one like that. Mm-hmm. Um, another one like that to me is Genesis album Duke, mm-hmm. which is a concept album and very much. Uh, it's great. This is a great album. And 
I, I got hooked on that one summer. It was the summer after Super, you know, Breakfast in America, and just started playing it. You know, I was working outside, and I started playing it, and just over and over on cassette, and it just kept playing it, and it grew on me. And it's a, it's a great concept album. I think it's my opinion. No, not that anyone has to agree. I think it's Genesis' best album. Oh, okay. Uh, if you had to take one album with you, uh, Desert Island style, and that's all you get to listen to, what would you, what would you listen to? Uh, probably Jesus Freak. Yeah. yeah. yeah it's Jesus pretty, Freak. um, so I will mention that it's also really diverse in its styles from song to song. It is. Like some of them, it's like that, like, like that one's fairly, like that one's like hip hop grunge, but like, but between you and me, it's yeah, like, it's, it's like 90s pop uh, alternative. 90s pop, right? absolutely. Like, so, yeah. okay. Um, what do you think 14 year old, uh, Jerry would think about you now and how, and who you are? Oh, wow. And how your life went. <laughs> Well, I, you know, went much different than I expected, you know. Uh, my my parents, uh, my mom and dad owned a, like a tire store when I was growing up. And so I, my vision was always not that I wanted Investigative it. Investigative journalism. <laughs> yeah, my, my, my vision, at the, well, really young, I wanted to be an astronaut. But, uh, but a little bit older than that, my mom and dad had this tire store. And I was thinking, you know, not that I wanted it, but I figured, oh, that's, this is what I'm going to be doing. Mm-hmm. I, you know, it's mm-hmm. a, more a grudging realization. I'm probably going to be stuck here doing this. But that didn't happen. He sold it. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, anyway, yeah. Um, what well, if you could tell him something? What do you wish you could tell him? Um, you know, just keep what's important important. You know, mm. keep your eyes on the prize. All right. Yeah. Uh, it's time for you to recommend three people who you're committing to share the podcast with when yeah. it releases, and who you think would be good guests for us to reach out to. Absolutely. So I, I, I created my list for this. Yes, you came very popular. Uh, one is uh, Rena Evers Everett, and this is the the daughter of Megger and Merle Evers. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's someone I would recommend it to. And then um, my best friend from college, and he's also, he and I write screenplays together, um, uh, Mike Roden, he would be another one. You know, I'd recommend it too. And then okay. my mom, you know, why not, you know. <laughs> Are, you think each of them was going to listen? Because that's the, the litmus is you. Oh, gonna, no, yeah, you're I think they'll listen. My mom will listen. Oh, hi, yeah. hi Jerry's mom. <laughs> um, okay, so we have their names. Yeah, you got They've been called out. We yeah. will reach out and see yeah. if they're interested in doing the show. Oh, if yeah, in terms of doing the show, I think. Oh, that's, you know. That's um, I don't know if my mom would do the show or not, but she That's will okay. listen to it. Yeah. Uh, but Rena would be an excellent yeah. guest, and uh, and and Mike Roden is entertaining. So he's far more entertaining <laughs> than I am. Oh, then that's pretty entertaining then. Um, all right. Do you have any final thoughts about this whole thing? I think it's been great. I I, I when I heard this idea, I thought you know this should be NPR should should use this. This is a we great agree. idea. <laughs> <laughs> a, a great idea for an approach to interview people, uh, kind of get them to pick three songs, which forces them to kind of think about their life. Oh my gosh, you've you've nailed it. That's the reason we do it. Yeah, it's it's that we. So the line we use in in our in our talks is it turns people into their own best storyteller. Yeah, and, and, and people like often don't think in those terms. Yeah. And, and I had to kind of really think. To be honest, I I, I think I had five songs originally, mm-hmm. but. I, but I mentioned the other two, but I just didn't, we didn't play them. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard because you got to knock them down, and that's okay. And I could have picked far more. I I, I love music. Oh yeah, I love music, and uh, obviously, I always think of that scene in Diner, where um, 
you know, music plays such a huge role in that in that movie, and it's very much a guy's movie. But, um, but anyway, at one point they're talking about he says, and she just kind of is not she's. He like files all his albums in alphabetical order and by year of release, which is exactly <laughs> what I do. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, and uh, so anyway, you're talking. and He says, and she's just acting like it's no big deal. She, he gets on to her because she files the album in the wrong place, uh, and by genre too. He had genre too, and she and he says to her, "I remember, you know, ain't that a shame was playing on the radio when I saw you walk in the room." Mm-hmm. And so there, there, there's something, um, it, what it is, music is one of the few things in our lives that's transcendent. There's not, there's just a handful of things that are transcendent in our lives. And so that's why music is so important. And what we listen to is important, I think. You know, it, it does matter what people sing about and it does matter. Of what they say, and and that's why I anyway I come back to that. That's why it's important. Thank you so much, Jerry, yeah. for being on the show. This has been wonderful. Thank you very much for having me. Strange fruit. We make three song stories in the studios of WGCU Public Radio on the campus of Florida Gulf Coast University in Fort Myers, Florida. Mike Canary is co-creator and host. Richard Chinqui is co-creator, producer, and host. Tara Callaghan is our online content producer and host. Audio production is by Jared the Intern Gonzalez, and Chris Duffus is our executive producer. Our theme song was created by Dave 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 Cowan and Stick Martin at Monkey House Studio in St. Pete. For this week's parting tune, we're jumping back one year to episode 157 with Adam Malloy. We did a song analysis of Billie Holiday's Strange Fruit, which, uh, which I thought was, you know, was powerful and has since become synonymous with the study of lynching or the anti-lynching movement, uh, but I, something was missing. And Kanye West Yeezus had just come out uh, that that year, 2013. And, yeah, 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 2013, 2014. Uh, and this is, you know, this is really me getting into my groove as a teacher, where I felt so comfortable pushing the envelope. I was like, man, something's really missing. You know, this isn't this isn't really hitting. Uh, so Yeezus is there, and then on that album is Blood on the Leaves, which he actually doesn't use Billie Holiday. He uses Nina Simone's mm-hmm. rendition yeah. uh, in 1969 at the beginning of the track. And what I loved. Uh, what I loved about that that song is that it it represented what I saw in the youth so well that yes history was a part of it but it become nuanced and and more complex and it became very spastic like like almost uh, uncontrol uncontrollable like chaos theory and I thought out of that chaos so the song represented that but it it had that blood on the leaves aspect to it and seeing these kids just you know they were. It, it allowed them a clearer lens in which to view what I wanted them to view. It wasn't like using Billie Holiday, like I was asking them, hey, look at it like your grandpa would look at it. I was asking them to look at it like how you would want to look at it, not not even myself. And tell me what you think and tell me what this means. And then and then run me through it. Run me through 1924 to now. You know, it was, it was powerful. And I remember the kids producing all these projects. Uh, that's the most important part about history is that critical approach. Uh, because that way, uh, that way you can reconcile uh, and move forward, and you can try to break some of that perpetuation down. Keep listening.